0: Welcome to the RSP cast. I'm Matt Waldman with the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. Last week, I did a solo episode on running backs. Today, wide receivers. And I've been watching a ton of wide receivers over the past week and a half. So I thought it'd be fun to kind of do a little brain dump here on the position. And listen, it's a packed class, that's for sure. Is it as good of a class as last year? think it's pretty close it's pretty close but i liked last year's class a little better at the top i think that there are a little more versatile players at the top than what than the guys that i have at the top right now maybe versatile might not be the best but the common best description maybe the combination of versatility and the type of athletic profiles that i think work really well in the nfl but this is an exciting group the thing is is Wide receiver probably more so than the other positions that we look at from a combine perspective. Really, you know, seeing their their speed, their forty time, their twenty shuttle, their three cone drill, those things help. I, I really actually find those layers helpful. And the fact that we're not going to get that consistently across the board is going to make this very interesting in terms of how people grade or perceive things about players into their rankings. You know, are you going, you know, as an evaluator, are you going to look at a player and give him the? Are you going to be liberal about how you grade his speed and ability to separate, or are you going to be more cautious? And I think that that's one of the things that you're going to have to look at that kind of across the board or else your process is going to be all over the place. So there's a lot of intrigue with this particular position. Personally, I've graded the position a little bit more conservatively on the athletic spectrum this year than what I would do knowing that I had combined numbers to look at along with film. So I do have a couple of other things up my sleeve that I will probably use as a cross-checking device, um, but that I can't go into um, for public um, consumption at this point. Um, But let's just say that um, I do have the hookup to be able to look at some information that may be helpful for my subscribers, even though I may not be able to publish what that information is. So with that said, Who's the biggest weapon in this class, in the wide receiver class? It's kind of a loaded thing to, to ask, I guess, because you've got guys who can be running backs and play out of the backfield. You've got folks who can play multiple positions, be kick, you know, in terms of slot, flank, or split end. They can be return specialists. They're aerial artists. There are also guys who can take a screen pass and take it 70, 80 yards. I think there's one clear answer to that, to be honest. And I think the the best weapon at the wide receiver class this far in this um, for this year, you gotta excuse me, I've I've been awake pretty much all night working and I'm a little bleary eyed. Jalen Waddell out of Alabama. I actually think he might be the best receiver on on the board. And it just depends though, of course, on what you're looking for. If you need a bigger body, you're looking for somebody to do more work over the middle, and to be and to be someone that you're gonna use in certain aspects of the game where you're asking them to be physical and post up on a regular basis. Jalen Waddle isn't your guy, but if you're looking for someone to stretch the field and be explosive, you're looking for someone who can go up and win the ball. In the deep game, so if the ball's underthrown, they can go up and get it. If you're looking for someone to make that clutch play, Jalen Waddles it. Jalen Waddles been doing it since he was a sophomore. Went back to his sophomore tape, and I'm watching him in the SEC championship game against Georgia, or maybe it was it was a national championship game. And it was the penultimate play of the game, basically the the game the play that set up the game winner. He catches a third-down ball, gets sandwiched by two defenders, finds a way to keep staying bounds at the boundary there after he gets hit in the chest and in the back, comes down with the ball. And it's not the first time, you know, or it's not the last time he would do that. He does that on a regular basis. But he's also a technician. So you've got toughness, you've got the technique in terms of route breaks, in terms of boundary awareness, going up and winning the football, how you use your hands, and then you have that unbelievable speed. Well, what separates him from, say, Henry Ruggs? And I think there you're going to have a lot of people who will look at Henry Ruggs and ask, well, aren't you just getting a Henry Ruggs clone? And I think the answer is you're getting a better player. And I thought Henry Ruggs did some impressive work last year for the Raiders in his first year, you know, just because it's not always fair to compare what Henry Ruggs did in his offense to what CeeDee Lamb or Justin Jefferson did in theirs. Um, but I think Jalen Waddles a little bit more um, versatile. You can use him, I think, both outside and in the slot in ways that you can get that downfield weapon, kind of that John Brown-esque type of downfield weapon, but you can also get some of those T. Y. Hilton-like skills, and he reminds me a lot of a maybe a more electric T. Y. Hilton, which is kind of scary because T. Y. Hilton is a badass wide receiver who plays outside at a at a very lightweight, and he's done it for a long time, and he's been a tough dude who rebounded a little bit down the stretch last year um, after dealing with an injury, you know, and playing hurt in twenty nineteen. So Jalen Waddle to me has a compelling argument to be one of the top two to three wide receivers in this on this board. Uh, and to me, you know, the the team that's going to want to use him the way that I think he can be used in terms of getting finding him, you know, op, feeding him opportunities in the short game, in the intermediate areas of space in the feet in, in zones, as well as downfield and giving him one on one shots. I think there'll be a team that can scheme him in a way that he could be an absolute star in the league. So, to me, he's fascinating. What about his teammate, Devonta Smith? I think a lot of people like him the most. A lot of people have him as their top wide receiver. And some of that, I think, has to do with the bounce that he got from the stats that he put up during the postseason run. And he's a dynamic player. You know, I've I've seen people make comps to Marvin Harrison because they're looking at his size and he's fast and he can go up and win the ball and he runs good routes. And I get that. I certainly see what people are saying from that standpoint. I see maybe, maybe a lighter version of Emmanuel Sanders, a guy that could grow into being a little bit more Emmanuel Sanders, like a good technician who can be tough and win the ball. Um, So, I think he can be a very good starter in the league. Maybe a high-end wide receiver two, um, you know, from the standpoint of pecking order of production on a team. Um, maybe even function as that number one wide receiver, that primary guy with the right scheme. But I'm, I don't think he has that game-changing ability in all facets that a guy like Waddle does. So I actually have Waddle higher than Smith right now when it comes to looking at these players. Um, you know, another player that that I think is two players that I think are just really not talked about a lot in this class, and I just think are excellent prospects. The first one is Tylen Wallace, six foot, one hundred eighty-five pound receiver out of Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma State, you know when you look at the these teams you see you know if you were logo scouting you'd look at james washington justin blackman rashawn woods um and and a number of other receivers who just had great college years but maybe were in offenses that didn't lend themselves to great transitions to the pros um and So there may be some concerns from NFL types who logo scout a little more than they should and or may look at the system and say, well, from a route tree perspective, what was he asked to do playing on one side of the field? Was it a little bit more predictable? Is he going to have more trouble with um, diagnosing things on an NFL level in terms of Route depths, route adjustments, things like that, because James Washington had that has had some of those issues. Um, terrific ball winner. Well, according to Mike Gundy, Tylen Wallace is actually a better ball winner, and from what I've seen, pound for pound, he's pretty impressive. He can go up and certainly pull the ball down, um, and and he's very good on fade routes. Though there's a little bit of a mixed bag with him because sometimes he leaps backwards rather than knowing when to time when his leaps should be to jump back for the ball. Jumping back for the ball isn't jumping backwards. It's actually jumping towards the target. And just like a, a guy like Colin Johnson, the Texas prospect, who went to the Jaguars last year and had some pretty good games or moments as a contributor, um, frequent contributor for the Jaguars last year, that was a problem with Colin Johnson, who was a much bigger receiver and he would jump back for the ball and lay lay back and stretch out and not be able to stay in bounds or be able to make the play because he just mistimed it. And that's the, that's a symptom of of when you're mistiming is that you you lean back too far for the ball. You, you really want to... That means that really what happened is you jump too early. You want to jump a little bit later. And sometimes Tylan Wallace can wait another step or two before he leaps for it. But... Again, you know, you look at his toughness to be able to win the ball, pull it away, take contact. He's a guy that's very physical in the run game. Um, After the catch, he he understands how to use his pad level as a ball carrier. And I like the routes that I've seen from him thus far. I think he's going to need a little bit of adjustment time in terms of releases and stems on the outside. There's times where he gets pushed to the boundary too easy pinned to the boundary too easy and he's able to come back in in the college game and get the ball without a penalty but in the NFL game you get pushed out of bounds now you're waiting for another player to touch the ball before you can touch it and so he's going to have to do a better job of having certain types of releases into his strategy that keep him from getting pinned to the boundary he's going to have to own the boundary a lot better but I think he's going to be able to do that. I think he's a he's a quality player. He reminds me of an AFC North type of receiver. Tough, physical, um, plays bigger than his size, and has, you know, really understands, you know, has has kind of dynamic athletic ability for his size, kind of has a, you know, he, he plays with the heart of a lion, I would say. A guy that really just... It's interesting to me this year he didn't have he didn't have great tape. He had good moments, but his tape wasn't as fantastic as it was in 2019 and that was Rashad Bateman. Rashad Bateman number 13, Rashad Bateman, the number he wore in 2019. just a wow player. the way he'd go up and win the ball, the way he could turn his body um, and make adjustments his his route running. In the middle of the field, um, he and this is something that's common between twenty nineteen and twenty twenty. You watch this guy on a dig route or a crossing route, and he is the best at this of the prospects in terms of being able to catch the ball, barreling, you know, full speed towards the middle of the field with a linebacker or safety, you know, coming from the inside out for him and to be able to make the catch and just make one subtle micro-movement to avoid that contact. And he does it so effortlessly. It just, it's like ballet watching him do it. Fantastic stuff. 2020 Rashad Bateman, number zero, the guy who wore jersey number zero, he, he was in a different type of offense. So they didn't feature him as much in the deep game in the ways that they featured him, and they didn't have... Tyler Johnson though they they did have a pretty good receiver in number seven. I don't remember his name who looks like he he has some potential. but just the way that they used Bateman was a little different in 2020. and as a result of that, they used him a little bit more on um, fly sweeps behind the line of scrimmage or at the line of scrimmage on screen passes because he's a terrific runner, but it became a little predictive um, predictable um and as good of a runner as he is he's better when you give him the ball 10 15 20 25 yards down the field over the middle let him catch it and and you know just transition fast because he has terrific vision he breaks tackles and he understands how to knowing when to bounce a play or cut back and when to just stick it right down the middle and just outrun people and when you have him start from the perimeter behind the line of scrimmage, it just creates a lot more variables that are more difficult. And I just didn't think his quarterback play was quite as good in 2020 as it was in 2019. But you know, judging all that together, I didn't think he slipped so far as a player that, that I'm looking at him and saying, wow, it's, you know, it's a major difference in terms of how you look at him as a prospect. I still think he's one of the better prospects in this class. And he may need a little like Tylen Wallace. He may need a little bit of time to get up to speed with certain things, such as his releases. He has a really wide stance, and you know, the more I look at release stances, it it can cause him to have to take an extra step that can tip off some things for defenders. Though he's not the player I was talking about on Twitter that tips off has a tell. Um, Bateman doesn't really have a huge tell with what he's doing. It's just that it, it's wasted motion, and it allows a defender to jam him, and that's a small tell that he can overcome, and he can also fix. Now, the player who I think has a, a significant tell in his game is Diami Brown out of North Carolina. Um, terrific deep threat, you know. Goes up. He's the type of guy that can just blow by you and track the ball really well. Um, stacks defenders well, goes up and wins it across the middle and can take some contact. Maybe not hard hits, but he certainly is someone that, against tight coverage at his back, plastered to him, he finds a way to get his hands on the football and bring it down. Love that about his game. But in his stance, when you have a – most you know, receivers all need to have like a staggered stance where you have one foot in front of the other – kind of have an 80-20 weight distribution on your front foot and you want to roll off your front foot with no wasted motion from your back foot. You don't want to rock off your back foot or take an extra step off your back foot. A little bit of a rock isn't a huge deal, but if you take a, a big step off your back foot before you roll off your front foot, that's something that defensive backs can see if they're playing off coverage and when i watch diami brown one of the things that i that i noticed is that a, a huge majority of his routes that came after he took that long that uh that extra step with his back foot were routes that were under 5 yards or under 10 yards in length in terms of the stem they were like 5 to 10 yards in length and they were stop routes usually stop routes or some sort of out or or hook, something breaking back to the corner to the quarterback or breaking outside. Now against tight man coverage, that rocking that that extra step may get him jammed, and that's not a huge deal. But to me, if you're an if you're a defensive back and you're watching Diami Brown tape and he's still doing this, and I think they'll correct this in camp with him. Like this is one of those types of things that usually does get addressed pretty quickly but if he doesn't if it slips through the cracks with the team where they just they're not focused on it it's the type of thing that I think an opposing defender can go you know what he's going to run he's going to run a route breaking back so if I'm playing off him I'm going to play a shallower cushion but I'm going to sit on that route and I know that he's not going to blow by me when he makes that extra step before he rolls off his front foot And I'm going to be able to jump that. I might get myself a nice little pick as a result of that. And I think you'll see that in the NFL with him if this persists. Um, Again, I think it'll be corrected, but something worth noting. Another guy I really liked um, who just kind of surprised me a little bit was Nico Collins. Um, Again, Michigan got some really awesome prospects at wide receiver who... In ter- from a high school standpoint who just didn't play in an offense with a quarterback who was a great college quarterback or a high-end pro prospect who could really spread the ball around at a level, uh, in a way that would elevate these guys numbers but Nico Collins is physical he's quick enough to me he's the type of guy that can get separation in the you know, 15 to 30 to 35-yard range, one-on-one, just with his release moves, his strength, and his initial acceleration. Now, if you want him to go deep for you, you're probably going to want to use him in the play-action game or against off-coverage and zone with slower-developing plays. And then he can help win the ball, because he's a ball-winner, big dude, who can go up and pull the ball down. He does that extremely well. So kind of like Donovan Peoples-Jones, a guy that maybe his production doesn't match his potential. And I think that he's a guy that certainly can be a contributor in the league, maybe even become a starter within a couple of years. I think there's a good chance that he'll become at least part of a three or four receiver rotation within the next couple of years. Um, a guy who you know, intrigues me, is Isaiah McCoy out of Kent State? McCoy, I there's there's a little bit of Chad Johnson to him, Chad Ocho Cinco. When I watch this guy's game, he has some he has he has nice speed, has some really strong release moves, and he runs to ter- he he runs some promising routes. Just can really stop fast, um, has a wiggle to him has some creativity, but within the bounds of what you're looking for in terms of good timing. Um, he can make some nice catches, but that's where I think the Chad Johnson comparisons end a little bit is that he's got to grow as a pass catcher. He has his share of drops that you know need to be fixed. And if he can play more to his highs than to his lows, he could surprise. But this is a guy out of uh, Toledo that I don't think many people would even mention, but I like him more than a lot of uh, players that may be, um, mentioned above him in most draft lists. Um, so don't be surprised if 6'3", 200 pound Isaiah McCoy makes a practice squad or becomes a uh, you know a, a reserve who grows into playing time. Um, a guy that I think is a light switch player. And what I mean by that is that he turns it on and off. He just hasn't figured out that he can't always turn it on and off at this level. You know, I was just on Ross Tucker's show with Emory Hunt, and we were talking about running backs, and Ross was talking about how Clinton Portis was a light switch player, like how he could not practice at all during the week and then just play his ass off week after week after week, and that he was one of the most high-effort players that he ever played with. But in practice, he was the exact opposite, and that's rare. Well, a guy who I think is a bit of a light switch player is USC receiver Tyler Bonds. Superbly talented. Again, another good ball winner who can go up and get it. Understands how to pull the ball away. Makes some clutch catches. Um, someone that can break tackles. Has some has some routes where you see real suddenness to his route running and some nuance. And then you have moments where he just looks like he's lost. Like he's spaced out. Like he just it, the light switch just isn't on. Like the things that you've seen him do in, in spots. Are things that he goes long stretches without doing, and I think he should be a much better player than he is at this stage. Right now, he to to me he projects as a as a reserve who could develop into a contributor, but I think he has higher upside than that. The problem is, is like Drew Locke, who I think was a a, a light switch player, and you can see from complaints from his teammates coming out of Denver that you know he's not putting in the work that they expected this was something that i mentioned just from watching his play I wasn't even talking you know not even from interviews or rumors or anything like that just from watching drew Locke play it's pretty easy to tell that he was a uh, he was that type of guy that got enabled by his coaching staff because he had wonderful talent great arm talent and he went to a big time program and helped them win and he got enabled there too and it wasn't forced for him to say if you want to start you've got to clean up your drops you've got to um be more mature about your decisions and not try and make some of these across your body throws you're gonna have to you know play more technically and conceptually sound and now he's kind of at a little bit of a a tiny crossroads at this point because if he does the same things this year that he did for periods last year the Denver Broncos will be looking for a different quarterback and a guy who's a light switch and Tyler Vaughn's to me is kind of part of that light switch thing where it's just like he thinks I think he he was so good in high school and probably early on in college that he thinks that he can kind of turn it on and off based on the competition but what happens is that once he starts facing high-end competition, as he's as he's done from time to time at USC, he tries to turn it on at moments where it, it doesn't happen because his talent isn't that strong that he can just turn it on and off. And so when he tries to, he realizes or he should realize that his preparation wasn't enough to be able to do what he thinks he can. Just snap his fingers and and make happen. So, I think he's a little overrated at this point, but I'm holding out hope that he matures, and if he does, he could he could have immense growth from one year to the next in the NFL if he can hang in with the NFL. A guy that I just don't quite get is Sage Surratt. 6'3", 214 pounds, Wake Forest. Big name coming out, you know, at least... You know, heading into the 2020 season, he opted out. What I do get about him is he's extremely physical. He's the type of guy that he can go across the middle, get between two defenders in zone, win the ball, take contact, break tackles, push piles, um, just overpower people to go up and catch fade routes. You know, he can get, into the vertic- into the thirty to forty yard range, and get some separation with help of play action, or where he's just you know he builds up momentum. But when you watch him run, especially short area quickness, it's just not there. He's lumbering when it comes to his footwork, change of direction. He's not a short area guy. It's kind of like watching a lot of Kelvin Benjamin. He reminds me a lot of Kelvin Benjamin. Maybe a little maybe a little better than Kelvin Benjamin in some areas in terms of catching the football. Certainly better and I think from that standpoint. But I don't know if he's even I, I don't even know if he's even as athletic as Calvin Benjamin on that Calvin Benjamin on that level. So I'm concerned about him. I think that there's a role for him. He finds the right fit and he could be highly productive you know he could be a double digit touchdown guy who a team uses in in certain spots and as a situational starter he might very be very helpful or as a Marcus Colston type of player but we haven't seen a Marcus Colston type of player really unless you say that Mike Thomas is a Marcus Colston player but to me Mar- Marcus Colston would be Mike Thomas 1.0, Mike Thomas's or Mike Thomas's Marcus Colston 2.0 in the sense that Thomas is far more sudden than Colston was and was a better route runner against man to man and with two-way goes whereas Colston was a really good zone guy and a great ball winner where Thomas is a good ball winner for sure but the route running is what really is fantastic with his game that short area quickness. I don't think Surratt has that. He's closer to Colston 1.0, you know, or 0.5 Colston. And that's that's kind of my concern with him. Uh, let's see, another player that we can talk about. Um, Amon Ross St. Brown. I think a lot of people are going to appreciate him because of the route running his willingness to go up, you know, his willingness to deal with some physical play. But to me, he's Sterling Shepard, like up and down, Sterling Shepard. And I don't think that's like an origin uh, and, an, you know, a unique thought. You know, I'm sure there are other people that see Sterling Shepard when they see Amon Ross St. Bra. And Sterling Shepard's a pro's pro. He's a good player, good route runner. Um, but he's not special and i think that i think there are a lot of fans who are waiting for that year for him to like really take off i don't think it's ever really going to happen unless he gets a great quarterback with fantastic surrounding talent where he just gets a lot of gimme throws you know a lot of great coverage matchup situations where you know they just they just bust things wide open but i don't think the new york giants are in, headed in that direction um And so when I look at Amon Ross St. Brown, that's what I see, you know, a good player. But I think that he's a type that a lot of people will be looking at who, you know, who has more upside, who can offer more, um, you know, even if they have less of that all around skill, you know, a guy like that, (laughs) well, we know Kadarius Toney is a great example of that. Kadarius Tony's electric. Um, the thing with him is that if he can figure out how to keep his feet under control, he has dynamic change of direction skill. He certainly breaks through a lot of reaches and some wraps, and he he has moves upon moves. But he can let his feet get too wide out from under his shoulders when he's trying to use different movements, especially as a receiver. And as a result, he's not as effective as he should be with some of the routes that he runs because he's not running under the level of control that he should. But if he works on that and figures it out, he could be a Pro Bowl player. He, I mean, that electric. He tracks the ball well from what I've seen Um and and I like what I've seen from him as a ball tracker. So, you know, teams may use him more to begin with as a little bit more of a gadgety type of player, but I think he'll have a more down-and-down-out role, or the teams will hope that he can develop into that, and I think that he will. Um, But this year, don't be surprised if there's high expectations for him, and then you see difficulty being able to get open because he's off balance or when he's trying to break big plays, he's almost wide into the wide open space and he falls down because I just don't think he's in, he's under great control. Now a guy who plays with great control overall in contrast is Elijah Moore. I've heard Lane Kiff. I've seen Lane Kiffin in an article, compare him to Steve Smith. I wouldn't go that far. He's certainly physical, um, and he can go up and take... He can take physical play. That's what I'd say. He can take physical play. He's elusive. He he certainly can, um, you know, make great adjustments on the football, but he's not anywhere in the same galaxy as physical as Steve Smith was, and I don't think he's as explosive as Steve Smith was. So... You know, I like his game a lot. I think he will be valuable in the right in the right scheme. And I think that, you know, again, teams that are looking at him will probably make an effort to figure out how to use him in in a way that he's an every-down receiver to me, like if you want to use him in the slot. But I think he also gives you that running skill. And it's not so much power, it's the vision and footwork that makes him good. Like, if you took, like, steve smith and diluted him with danny woodhead maybe you'd have elijah moore that you know if dr frankenstein could say you know we can't have you know we can't you know i can't replicate steve smith because he's too combustible but if we dilute him a little bit with danny woodhead's game you can get a player that has some steve smith qualities at the boundary and across the middle to make plays, he does not drop footballs. This guy, Elijah Moore does not drop the football. It's one of of the things I love about him is that he can make all sorts of adjustments and very, very rarely does he drop the rock. But in addition to that, he's a guy that has some vision, you know, in terms of off tackle, draw plays, some quick hitters up the middle. He can give you some of that Woodhead-esque type of play too um, though not quite as um, functional power, doesn't have quite as much functional power as Woodhead does. So that's a that's an interesting one to me. Um, you know, when we talk about these, you know, smaller guys who can, you know, who can move. Um, let's see who else do, would be worth talking about here. Let's also, you know, some of these later guys. A guy that i'm interested in seeing a little bit more of or actually i'm i've watched a good bit of but i'm interested to see what happens to him in a camp if he gets signed by anybody is a guy by the name of jalen camp out of georgia tech six feet one 220 pounds fast physical really knows how to go up and win the ball has some decent route skills just didn't play on a great passing offense I think this guy, his dad uh, has been a guy who's trained NFL players or pl- and NFL athletes. I think that this is a guy that could be a fun sleeper. T.J. Vasher's exciting out of Texas Tech. 6'6", 215, really, can win, really great ball winner, great skill of being able to track the football, but to me he is the rest of his game there because I saw a very one-dimensional game thus far with him. One guy that I just really love his game, but I know that he's a limited player in terms of speed. And at wide receiver, you you know you want to have some long speed in your game, and that's Johnny Johnson the third out of Oregon. This is a guy who I think got was awarded a fifth year of eligibility, and you watch his tape with um, Herbert in twenty nineteen. Man, talk about a guy who. You just see flashes of what could be a quintessential slot receiver, like a New England Patriots slot player, that type of player. I mean, someone who's tough over the middle, terrific blocker. I mean, he will take it to you. They use this six foot, 198 pound guy like he's, you know, 220 blocking outside linebackers you know, off the edge and having that be the front side uh, block to shield an edge defender and have it be successful because they know this guy's aggressive. He's going to take the fight to you and follow up and he gets good position. But more more important for, you know, his type of role was a guy that, has terrific vision after the catch. He really understands how to follow blocks, set them up, find the cutback or bounce lanes, um, and just make squeeze every yard out of the blocks that he gets. And he has incredibly good ball skills. He has a play against Utah where he basically catches the ball behind the, the head of a Utah defender. And it's not the first time that I've seen him make some dynamic acrobatic plays. He has... Great skill to make the last-minute extension full body for back shoulder plays. Owns the boundary well. um, You know, can be really creative with his body control to win the ball. Contorts his body to to win the football. He's just got enough burst to win in that 15 to 30-yard range. You know, in a way, it's kind of like a Hollywood Higgins type of player, not a deep threat, but someone that can get downfield in certain situations. And because he can he shows something to win the ball, he becomes a, a favorite to a quarterback. And I think Johnny Johnson has some of that, but I think he's more reliable as a pass catcher than Higgins was. And but and not even quite as um explosive as Higgins is. But as an over the middle player who can find open zones, who can block for you, who can you know make tough catches, I could see him being one of these undrafted free agents who makes a big difference for a team and grows into a role. So I'm you know I find him interesting. Trevon Grimes out of Florida, 220 pounds. I found him interesting in the sense that he can get deep, but I think he needs help in the play-action game. Um, Catching the football, he's a ball clapper. And I've talked about this or written about this a lot, but guys who clap onto the football, what happens is when they have to extend their arms to the ball, they tend to extend their arms first and then try and get their hands to meet afterwards. And if you do that, then you end up in a situation where you end up clapping your hands on either side of the ball and it's very hard to do that you know take your if you have a if you have a little kid in the neighborhood or you have a little kid at home and they're learning how to catch the catch a ball you'll remember pretty vividly that they try to clap onto the ball with either side and that's why the ball bounces off their forehead or their nose and they start crying and it's just a it's one of those types of things where with a receiver having to go up and extend their arms to the ball, they need to extend so that their, their thumbs are together or their pinkies are together, depending on you know what technique they're using overhand or underhand. And if they're not doing that, then when they try to make them meet late, usually the ball hits one hand first and ricochets off of it violently, as opposed to meeting both. Or it goes through their hands and ricochets off their chest or their head. And Trevon Grimes has a little bit of that problem with his game. Um, He's fast enough to get downfield and physical. I like his skill in the screen game in terms of just, they use him a lot in the short screen game to just drop his pads and get through tight creases in the secondary and win short yardage in those situations. And he can win fade routes. Um, I'd like to see him do a better job of pulling the ball down and turning away so that the ball doesn't get raked out because he doesn't have the strongest grip to withstand the rakes that defenders bring um, to disrupt his security of the football. So he's interesting in terms of maybe a developmental guy. Um, Another developmental guy that fascinates me, and I watched him today, and I can't pronounce his last name, so forgive me. It's Josh, I think, Imator Hebe or Imator Behebe, out of Illinois. He was a USC transfer. His, um, I think his brother Daniel had a cup of coffee in the NFL as a tight end back in the day. But <coughs> maybe I've got that wrong. Actually, I do have that wrong. But he does have a brother named Daniel who's playing at Illinois as a tight end, I think. But Josh, 6'2", 220. He is sudden as all get out. Watching him... In the short area, in terms of releases, he has some sudden release moves that work well. He can be a little more violent with his um, upper body as he is with his lower body. He will be very tough to jam. He also can get deep on you, um, and he is fantastic at winning the football in tight coverage. Um, Takes contact, pulls the ball away, was impressed with him over the middle, he can pluck the ball, you know, with his size, he can still get low in stride and pluck the ball off the ground without having to leave his feet or disrupt his stride. Fantastic stuff. But he had a really low drop rate, apparently. You know, when I when I look up on the Internet, I'm looking for durability. You know, I'm looking for different types of injury issues and injury rates. Sometimes I run across little news blurbs that talk about Um, a player's a drop rate, and apparently he had a massive drop rate last year. And you know, I I didn't watch every game. Um, I watched a lot of them, and I charted only I only charted four of them um, for him. But I watched a lot of his games, and a lot of those, a lot of plays that might be marked as drops made no sense to mark his drops. Defender hitting the, knocking the ball um, away before the receiver is even able to get his hands on the ball. There are a lot of plays like that or plays where the adjustment for him to even get his hands on the ball was so difficult that you wouldn't realistically call that um, a catchable ball. To me, if someone has to make, to me, oftentimes a way of defining a difficult catch is a cat. you know, you can define it in a number of ways. Some people define a difficult catch as one where that's catchable, but you have to do some extra work to be able to make the play. To me, a difficult catch is a play that you would not expect the receiver to make the catch, but he does. To me, that's more... In line of what I think a difficult catch should be scored, but there are a lot of people that will look at a difficult catch and say, "Well, if he got his hands on the ball and he couldn't catch it, then it's a drop." And to me, is if he had a difficult situation and he got his hands on the ball but dropped it, I'm not counting that. You know, and and I and I'm pretty um, selective about those situations. And when I watched this kid out of Illinois, I thought that there's a possibility that the tracking that people are doing might make him have a worse drop rate than he does now, you know, I don't think he's a a starting caliber pass catcher at this point, but he's closer to that than I think his drop rate might suggest, and there's some promise there with his game I mean big dude sudden and the catches he does make are impressive so he's someone that I he's someone that I want to keep an eye on I may not have him rated high on my board but I but I definitely want to keep an eye on him um you know Tamorian Terry's a guy that I think a lot of people were excited about but I again he's another guy that I just I'm not in love with his hands I don't think he gets a good handle in terms of how he should approach the football. I think it's more committee level for him, and that drops him down a little bit. I don't think he's especially elusive. Um, His ball handling needs some work. Um, And, you know, when you put that together, I think he's a very good college player. But, you know, if you're going to compare him to, say, Mike Williams of the Chargers, I think he's a developmental player, Who's in the style of Mike Williams? Not a developmental Mike Williams, but a player who's a developmental player, who could, who, you know, who has some of the Mike Williams esque um, style, but not the skills. And I don't think he he will get there to to that. Um, you know, I don't think he's a, actually going to get there. Um, intriguing players: Des Fitzpatrick, Cornell Powell. Marlon Williams, these are all guys that have good size in the six foot to six two two hundred and ten two hundred and fifteen pound range. They go up and win the ball um I think that you know Cornell Powell's a guy that couldn't get on the field for Clemson for a number of years, and the reason was, according to Debo um Dabo Sweeney was yeah, I was gonna say Debo Samuel Dabo Sweeney is that um he just wasn't consistent. Um, we can, you know, day in, day out in practice. He wasn't, you'd have good days and bad days. And so when you have good days and bad days like that, and you're playing, you know, you're competing with top caliber talent on your depth chart. Yeah. You're not always going to stay on the field, but this year he played well. I mean, I, I was impressed with what I saw from him. Um, and I, and I may not have him as rated as highly as other people do, but my grade for him will be certainly a contributor who has potential to develop into a starter. Des Fitzpatrick, similar to me. I was more impressed with Des Fitzpatrick than I was with Tutu Atwell. Tutu Atwell is exciting, um, but I don't think he's in the same class as players like Rondale Moore, or Elijah Moore, um, or Kadarius Tony, you know he's he's a style of player like that, but I don't think he's as good. In fact, I think a guy like Wop Fillior out of Indiana is more intriguing. Um, this guy has terrific vision, good return specialist. I think he catches the ball well, has some route potential, and I think his size makes him a little bit more, um, realistic of an NFL player. I think that Tutu to, to Atwell just gets pushed around too much. He can get pushed off his game and you can play physical against him in a way that it's just, I don't think it's going to work for him on the level that it did for Louisville, nearly so. So I would be surprised if in three years, he's a, he's a weekend week out contributor. So that, you know, just something to, to think about there, um, you know, Warren Jackson, another player that I find um, fun to watch because he can—he is a tough dude and takes contact, takes hard contact, and has some flexibility um, for his size. I just don't know if he's explosive enough to be an every-down starter. I think he can be a contributor. But I don't know if he has that every down starter um, potential. But anyway, there's a lot more players that I could have talked about. Um, but obviously, I'm getting ready to put together the rookie scouting portfolio. I'll be putting these guys together, putting um, out profiles in a great deal of depth. I've been taking notes game after game after game about what they can and can't do. Um, I was just giving you a little bit of a gist of some things that caught my eyes during the week, during my second or third run through a lot of these players. And, uh, you know, if you're interested in more, of course, you can go to mattwaldman.com and get the rookie scouting portfolio. Um, I highly recommend it. Um, Obviously, this is how I make my living. I don't do Patreon. I don't um, ask for donations. I don't um, have you know, uh, a pay website. What I do is I put out a lot of content for free so that you get a chance to see where I'm heading with all my research, how I do my research, what kind of depth I go into, whether it's one play or three plays or 20 to 30 minutes. Um, so, you know, the RSP is the product of all of that. And I think that for those of you who, have gotten in the past, you know how much, you know you you know how much value it has. If you're on the fence about it, just ask around on Twitter, or you can check out the uh, testimonials um, on my site MountWaldmanRSP.com. And you know these aren't me asking people to provide testimonials; these were reactions from people over the years um, to the RSP when they've bought it, and uh, you know that speaks for itself. So thanks again for listening. And, you know, just as a quick announcement, I was contacted um, by Trey Lance's camp. And it looks like I have been able to garner an opportunity to watch film with Trey Lance. And so I've invited Mark Schofield to join me. And we're going to set up a time. Hopefully it works out. Things can get dicey with these prospects because of... um, you know, the schedules that they're on and things that, that, you you know, the importance of them just getting ready for the draft. So, um, but I, but his camp reached out to me and wanted to, wanted to do something. And, um, obviously I said, listen, I, I watch tape. That's what I do. So if you got, if Trey would like to watch tape with me and talk about his game, then I'm all, I'm all for that. And that seemed, something like they're excited about. And so Mark and I are excited about getting together in probably early March to mid-March. We'll have something out, a film room with Trey Lance in North Dakota State. Should be a lot of fun. Stay tuned for that. And uh, thanks again for listening.